theirs was the ship that found the Isle of Asherai. Theirs were the cannons that felled the golem of Ghosthaven. They fought the Zankik across the Sea of Last Breaths. They stole imperial ships and lived to tell the tale. They're the bane of land and sea, the most dangerous pirates in Sunscape. At least, that's how Fitz tells it. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesar, Episode 8, The Salamanders. out. Obsidian was leading me through the tunnel, back to the upper levels of Sunscape. We appeared to be making for the hive again. Above us, the stalactites glowed with a faint wash of orange-red. It was approaching morning, about five or six. The massive market crowds had not yet gathered. We were exposed, and moved at a clipped pace, keeping to the shadows to avoid drawing attention. At one point, Obsidian swiped a scarf from a passerby and used it to conceal his face. I kept my head low. Easier for a human to do than a walking bear. I kept my sights trained on every skulking figure we passed, watching for that sickly orange glow in their eyes. But I was beginning to feel my focus dwindling. I had lost a lot of blood. My encounters with the Warden, Fade and his thralls in the chum tank had left me exhausted. My eyelids felt so heavy. Every breath was labored and warm. I started to wonder how long it had been since I'd slept. The next thing I saw was the sky. Bright, piercing blue and cloudless. I heard waves all around me. I looked down and saw my feet standing atop the water in the middle of the sea. I remembered this dream. Peering into the horizon, I searched for the silhouette from before. At first I did not see it, only crashing waves and the shimmering scene between sea and sky. Then. I spun around to face the voice. It was so crystal clear it might have been coming from directly behind me. But the figure was some distance away, closer than before, enough to make out his features, yet still obscured by the tides and the ocean spray. It was an urso, white fur, a polar bear, even larger than obsidian. He wore a kind of malong around his waist, patterned in geometric shapes of brown and red. Adorning his neck was a stately-looking necklace, 
with what appeared to be dozens of brilliant, multicolored strands of braided hair. A bandolier crossed his torso, appearing to cover up a sizable scar on his chest. His stance was open, stoic, like a structure that existed before the oceans themselves. More than anything, though, he looked tired, sunken black eyes with pillowy purple bags. A certain tension gripped his body, a weary, anxious energy. Something kept this man from his rest, something old and deep and inescapable. Pardon? I called out. It was all I could think to say. Closed eyes are always lost. You are Claude Vander. I nodded slowly. I had the sudden suspicion this dream was not of my own making. And who might you be? No sooner than I asked, I heard the same ominous wail from before, deep below the ocean surface. A shifting tendril, longer than a dozen galleons, coiled and spun a league beneath my feet. Slowly the wail grew louder, its pitch sharpening until it threatened to split my eardrums. I fell to my knees, covering my ears. It was no use. The monster's shriek rattled my bones and impaled my soul. I cried out, my voice drowned by the noise. The monster charged for the surface, a lightless black pit blotting out the sea. As it surfaced, I heard the Urso speak, the softest whisper, yet somehow perfectly clear through the screaming. I woke with a start. A spacious, dimly lit cellar greeted me. Fragrant smells of oak, hops, and yeast filled the air. It was uncomfortably warm. Below me, I saw rows of barrels and cylindrical brass filling the space. A distillery. I was laying on a long oak table on a raised platform. Deep aching in my chest protested against my moving. I looked down and saw my wounds had been treated and properly wrapped. I tried to sit up. Whoa, slow and steady, sir. I searched the distillery for the sound of the voice. There were footsteps a ways down the platform. I saw a woola walking up the stairway towards me. It was Pluck. Sweat beads speckled his blue skin, which looked almost black in the dim light. A plain white shirt and a smock replaced his stylish wardrobe from before. The smock was stained with what appeared to be blood. Despite this, he still wore the same smile, the same nonchalance in his face and gait. You had a rough night, sir. Applecart got a little banged up, if you take my meaning. Slow and steady does it. I took his advice, carefully edging myself to a seated position on the table, feet touching the floor. Did... did you? I nodded at the stained smock. Pluck bowed with a flourish. Yours truly. I have to say, sir, Pluck's Inn and Tavern prides itself on its hospitality, but you sure are putting that to the test. 
I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Pluck. Rest assured, I can compensate you for... Pluck dismissed my words with a quiet chuckle. He waddled over to me and pat my arm with his webbed, three-fingered hand. It felt cold and slick, yet also somehow comforting. It's a fawn in the dawn, friend. I had no idea what that meant, but his tone suggested I shouldn't worry. When you're good with the salamanders, you're good with me. The salamanders? At that moment, a double door at the far end of the distillery swung open. Three figures sauntered in, each of their steps betraying a well-worn confidence. Leading the trio was Obsidian. He'd traded in his bulky armor for a silk jerkin and an ornate malong around his waist, similar to the Urso I'd seen in my dream. He regarded me with a nod, his expression warm. At his sides were a human woman and a drailish man. The human was young, yet her eyes seemed to hold a thousand years' worth of stories. Skin dark and smooth, like a fresh sandbank soaked in seawater. A wild mane of green hair flowed dramatically as she walked. Everything about her wardrobe commanded attention. A magnificent frock coat of deep purple and gold enveloped her. A fine-hewn lambskin jerkin covered a billowy silk shirt and a puffy cravat the same colors as her coat. Topping her head, a round, dark leather hat with purple feather plumes. She studied me as she approached, fascinated yet wary, like I was a caged animal she hadn't seen before. The Draylish man was also arresting in his appearance. Sun-kissed skin and fiery red hair, perfectly coiffed in a short yet wavy cut. A perfectly trimmed goatee framed a wily, sharp-toothed grin. His opaque eyes were glowing gold, and his black horns curved up and out in mirroring right angles. His attire was a bit louder than the human's. A golden silk doublet with puffy, fringed sleeves, and a flowing scarlet cape behind him. On the legs, white knickers and buckled red shoes. Gloved hands clutched a rapier at his side, as though he expected to duel at any moment. The trio joined Pluck and I on the platform. Obsidian let the human take point as they approached me. She stopped, several feet from the table where I sat. She looked me up and down, taking note of my bandages. Her posture was open and still at ease, though I noted an eager twitching in her fingers. It was only then I noticed the pair of pistols sheathed inside her coat. So... You live, she said. Would you like to keep it that way? I nodded. Then let's talk. She tipped her hat to me. Sharna Swift, captain of the Maroon Lagoon and leader of the Salamanders. At your service. The Draylish man bowed with an overwrought flourish. And I am Fitzcarroll. To this day, I swear I heard a fanfare whenever he said his name. Feared, formidable foe of the Felonius, hero of the Battle of Stormwing, vanquisher of the Mazewood Hags. You were nowhere near the Hags, Fitz. 
Obsidian drawled. I was indeed. I was entrenched in the... I was there. You hid behind a rock. Yes, well, I also gave crucial tactical advice while... You begged me to kill them before they touched you. Listen, you overgrown pillow. Gentlemen! Sharna's exasperated voice cut the chatter like scissors through a ribbon. Smiling thinly, she returned her focus to me. And of course, this is my collection of fools. I believe you've already met Obsidian. I waved a hand at Captain Swift's crew, somewhat awkwardly. I briefly wondered if I should bow too, but dismissed the thought. A uh, pleasure. My name is Claude Von Der. Von Der. Captain Swift said my name slowly, as though it was food she was tasting for poison. Care to tell us why you brought a shitstorm to the chum tank last night, Von Der? I didn't mean any harm. Well, you stole from Sunscape's biggest crime boss, started a riot, and nearly got poor Obi killed, so I'd say you failed. Captain, if I may. Mr. Von Der's approach was... explosive, yes. But what I saw at the fadeaway... I don't know how, but he saved several people from the Warden's spell. Aye, that worries me further. The captain reached into her coat. I flinched, thinking for a moment she was about to pull out a pistol. Instead, she revealed in the palm of her hand a small glass orb the size of a marble. She tossed it to me. Know what that is? I caught the orb, turned it around in my fingertips. It glowed inside with a warm, inviting yellow. Small metal bands wrapped around the outer surface of the orb. As I held it, I started to feel a certain clarity of mind. The tiredness and headaches that had clouded my thoughts seemed to dissipate. Sensing kindred magic, I took a moment to focus in on the light inside the orb, calling out to it with the ebon mist. I felt only traces of a spirit, like the faint smell of tobacco in a home once owned by a smoker. Rose tears, I cursed, taken aback. Haven't seen one of these in a while. It's a focus gem, Alzerian made, built to absorb a small part of a fright's power for a temporary effect. Another attempt at control, I thought. Typically, Kindred power comes from the bond between a mortal and a fright. Mutual or forced, the relationship is what transcends the barriers between worlds, creating magic. It was a process our ancestors had no time for. So they cheated. Focus gems, soul quivers, will wheels, tools designed to capture, siphon, and dominate. Arrogant fools. No wonder they ended up cracking the realm in half. I tossed the gem back to Captain Swift. She tucked it away in her coat pocket. Right you are. Mighty rare, and even rarer to find some still charged. Obi here found a stash of these after one of our dives. They kept his mind sharp around Lennox Fade, resisted the Warden's pull. Even during the game? I asked Obsidian. 
What about the bet you made? Your treasured memories of Ina? All four of them, Pluck included, burst out laughing. Mr. Vondar, I would pay someone to take her out of my head. It was only because of the jam I had the will to bluff. Which brings us to you, Vondar. Clearly you didn't have one of these on you, yet you fought the warden and won, which can only mean one thing. A hag, Fitzcarl gasped. Sharna shot him a glance, nonplussed. What? No. She returned to me. You're a kindred, aren't you? I considered how to respond. Isolde enforced a policy of minimal disclosure. No good hiding in the shadows if half of Exeser knows about us. Besides, I had little knowledge of these people's intentions. Pluck's patience with my antics and Obsidian's rescue notwithstanding, these were complete strangers to me. Oh, but I have made a mess of things, I thought. By now, Fade and the Warden were surely combing Sunscape looking for me. Gods know how many people they were controlling to do it. I had to get back to the mist, but the only door nearby was the one buried in the cove outside. If I had any hope of escaping, I would need some help. Thoughtfully, I slid off the table and stood up straight. What is your business with Lennox Fade? I asked the captain. She took a deep breath, eyeing Obsidian and leaning against the table. We were shipmates once, after a fashion. Turned out to be a mole, working for a man named Pyrrhus and his crew. Tried to steal the location of the Isle of Asherai right out from under us. We traded words, then swords, then cannons. Nearly cost us our lives, it did. That foul soul, Pyrrhus, sought ancient Alzerian relics that could help him trap frights to do his bidding, Fitzcarl added, disgust in his voice. We sank their ship, killed Pyrrhus, but a few of his crew escaped. Fade was one of them. We tried to track him, but for months he might as well have been a ghost. Then one day we make birth in Sunscape, only to find he's running the place. Perhaps he found a way to do what his captain couldn't, I said. The warden is as much a captive to Fade's will as anyone else. And how do you know that, sir? Pluck said. I noticed he had pulled out a row of flagons from a cabinet, and was starting to fill them up with ale from a nearby keg. Before I answer, tell me. If Fade has history with all of you, how did he trust Obsidian enough to let him work in the fadeaway? At this, Obsidian let out a sad sigh. He attempted to buy me away from the salamanders. Sounds mad, I know. Yet pirates are not famous for their loyalty. Of course I knew it to be a ruse. A man with Fade's power doesn't buy anything he doesn't have to. He just wanted to get me in the door, so he could ensnare my mind with his fright dice. But you went anyway. Obsidian's snout twitched. 
I thought I could spy on him for the captain. Mole for a mole, you see. That's why I took the focus gem. A as a safety... Oh, just admit it, honey chaser. Fitz pulled up a stool next to Obsidian and took a swig from the flagon Pluck handed him. Obsidian winced at the insult. Fitz placated him by pushing a second flagon into the bear man's hands. You wanted to see if it was true, didn't you? Shut up, Fitz. Oh yes, it was all about the mission, wasn't it? By the cave, sometimes you can be such a scorching... After all, what could fate have possibly offered you that would have persuaded you to put your life at risk? Obsidian halted at that last question. His gaze shifted to the distillery below. Anxiously, he scratched at his arm, kicked at nothing with his feet. Despite his size, in that moment he looked quite small. Sleep. The word sent a charge of electricity down my spine. What? I saw an internal battle inside Obsidian as he fought to get the words out. Shame and pride, disgust and yearning, all warring at once. Fane, he... He offered me several years worth of sleep. Said he'd won it off some patrons. Said he would pay off my sleep debt. <laughs> As if the fool had any idea. I don't understand. Do you have some sort of insomnia? That's one way to put it. <laughs> it, it is not something my kind discusses often, especially with outsiders. To be blunt, we Urso do not sleep. Not truly. We rest our bodies, but our minds are ever alert. Silently conscious in the dead of night, craving release into nothingness. To earn a true sleep, a hibernation, every Urso must prove their worth to the Toporak. The, the sleep givers, tribal shaman who appeal to the great cave for the gift of sleep. This news left me speechless. My mind raced. Could this be? Does the word Everwake mean anything to you? Obsidian looked at me in shock. I haven't heard that word since I left Urzai. It's a term we use to describe our curse. I could have flogged myself for my ignorance. I felt guilty for how little I understood of the Urso people. It wasn't entirely my fault. The Urso were a reclusive, insular people. Still, for such a hardship to be endeared by so many under my nose, an entire people suffering in wakeful silence in the northern wastes, I also couldn't help but consider what little I knew of the Everwake responsible for Miss Liger's death, the curiously sleeping bodies in Grey Sky, the Alzarian chip hidden in a book about the Urso. I even recalled my dream, with the strange Urso in the middle of the open sea. That's awful, was all I could think to say. 
Obsidian shrugged. Most of us see it as a rite of passage. An opportunity to honor our community by performing some great act. Trouble is, not everyone is up to the task. Some fail to gain the cave's favor and never earn their hibernation. Over the years, an Urso's sleep debt will slowly build. If it is not paid, eventually it will drive one mad. There was a pause, while Obsidian seemed to retreat inwards, bitterly at odds with the memories that were stirring. Fade's offer. I knew it was a trap. But you cannot understand unless you are an Urso. The weight of our debt. The hunger we feel for sleep. It... You didn't take his offer, Obi, said the captain, in a surprisingly soft tone. No honor lost. With respect, captain. I will be the judge of that. All at once... Obsidian resumed his stately posture. With confidence, he returned his gaze to us. The cave will grant me my sleep, like my parents before me and theirs before them. A smirk crept up in the corner of his mouth. Fade's head would make a nice offering. Captain Swift mirrored the smirk. All right, she said to me. She handed me one of Pluck's flagons and took one for herself. Your turn. What brought you to the fadeaway? I told them the truth. Part of it, at least. I mentioned the Ebon Mist, but said nothing of Isolde or Quinn. They seemed more secure, thinking I was the one in control of this power. I explained my mission how Miss Liger's strange death a mere two days ago sent me hurtling down the path to Sunscape. The salamanders listened intently as they drank. At the mention of Miss Liger, though, Captain Swift put up a hand. Hold a moment. You say this woman was asleep on her floor for weeks. Yes. We, I, think she might have been poisoned with demon's teeth. Grateful for a break in my story, I took a swig of the ale, a smooth blonde with notes of honey. We had a couple like that here in Sunscape, sir. Pluck eagerly squeezed through fits and obsidian to face me. Strangest thing, two men came to the inn. Humans, young and healthy as can be. Bought a room for a whole month. Couldn't believe my eyes when they dropped all those gleams on the counter. Thing is... The days went by and we didn't see hide nor hair of either of them out of that room. Didn't even come down for meals. Eventually I sent a steward up there to check to see if they needed anything and, well... Pluck's story left me cold. Part of me had feared the possibility. Hearing it now only settled that fear into reality. It's not just Grey Sky. It's everywhere. What did you do with them? Well, we didn't know what to do with them, sir. We didn't touch them or anything. Didn't want to be held liable, you understand, in case there was an injury. We called for a doctor. Of course, in Sunscape, doctors are harder to find than arms on an eel. Only one we could find charged a bright gleam. 
Works for top-notch clientele only. Entertainers, nobles looking to slum it up for the weekend. And fade, I ventured in my head. My mind began to race. If my connection to Isolde allowed me to sense Everwake's disturbance, to disrupt it and talk to the victims, perhaps Fade could as well. Have there been any other strange happenings lately, Pluck? Reports of nightmares, sleeplessness, people hearing things. You just described half of Sunscape, sir. Pluck's chipper tone dipped slightly. That's the norm rather than the exception here, I'm afraid. Hmm. What about Demon's Teeth? Did you happen to see any trace of it in their room? Pluck shook his head. Afraid not, sir. All I know is, that fancy doctor swooped in, took him out on a stretcher, and that was it. Last time I saw any of them. He tapped his bulbous chin with a webbed finger. Come to think of it, that doctor didn't touch those gents at all. Or his aides. Moved the bodies with hooks on long poles. Strange sight. More and more questions, less and less time, I thought. I must get back to the mist. Whatever is going on, I can find out with that reader I took from Fade. But first I need to get out of this city. A sentiment we share, Fitz chimed in. Sunscape's a bit too hot for my liking at the moment. Easier said than done, though, Captain Swift sighed. By now, Fade's probably looking for all of us. I wouldn't be surprised if they were tearing up Plucks right now. No offense, Pluck. None taken, Captain. Don't suppose you can make a break for the ship? Fade will have control of the dock workers. Only way out of the city is through the lift lock. What is to be done, then? Not even the great Fitzcarl. Feared, formidable foe of the Felonius can fight an entire city's worth of thralls. The idea passed through me like a cool breeze. Perhaps we don't need to, I said. Fade can control the bystanders with the Warden's power. We don't know how many, but I know it takes effort for a kindred to sustain that many connections at once. He'll want to conserve his energy. If we can create a distraction in the center market to draw his focus, then someone can sneak aboard the ferry towards the lift lock, Captain Swift finished. With Fade distracted, there's a chance those guards won't be mind-controlled. We can force them to start the lift and make a break for the entrance. The docks have a conveyor track the Alzarians built, helps guide the ships to berth without need for sails. If we do this right, it should bring the ship straight up to the lift. Right, said Fitz. A distraction, then. Perhaps an old classic. Lizard's gizzard? Well-hung Hugo? Flops the monkey? Can't do that one. Flops ran away. Oh no, poor Flops. Oh, what about Rage of the Ram? Captain Swift groaned. All right, just tone it down this time, okay? I'm surprised there were buildings left standing last time from all the scenery you chewed. And seeing as I have no idea what you all are talking about, I said, I'll handle the lift lock. Something occurred to me then. Wait, 
How are any of us actually going to get onto the ship as it heads for the lift? Ah, I was wondering when that would come up, Pluck said. Well, we've got just the thing. He looked straight at me. Just promise you'll keep a cool head this time, all right? I frowned at him, confused. I don't under... As if on cue, the double doors on the other side of the room opened, and a figure rushed in. I saw the snow-white feathers first, bewitching blue eyes and blonde hair. Her corset and sailor slops were gone, replaced by a set of chain mail and special greaves made for kick-tay legs. Slung onto her back was a bow and a quiver full of arrows. A halberd sat tightly in her clutched hands. She beamed at us, wings flapping as she hopped up and down in excitement. Sorry I'm late, everyone, Merriweather said. Now, whose ass are we kicking today? Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand. For questions or comments, email me at echoesofxeser at gmail.com.